Every time I uh, pull out my phone, I see a notification for the reminder that I set for myself to send my brother a birthday card. That notification has been on my phone for about a week. His birthday was on Tuesday. That's right, was, not is. I'm a little behind on sending the birthday card. And in another productivity tool that I use, I have a note that I, another note that I wrote to myself, this one telling me to call my grandmother. That one has been sitting there for about three weeks. And I can no longer blame Amazon for the reason that my wife does not have a Valentine's Day gift because it is still sitting in the Amazon packaging in which it was delivered and I haven't taken the time to pull it out, get it ready, and give it to her. All because I've been busy. Like, busy with, with really, really good things. You know, busy with, with ministry work, with, with serving, with preparing for worship, with being involved in the academy's ministry, with meetings to advance our mission and Bible studies in which I engaged people with the Word of God and I was able to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. All good things. But those good things have kept me from showing love to my family. And while I'm a little ashamed to admit that before you today, I also know that I may not be alone in that. In an October 2019 essay that was in the Atlantic magazine, Judith Shulevitz wrote an article, and the title of the article was Why You Don't Ever See Your Friends Anymore. And the subheading for the article said this. It said that our unpredictable and overburdened schedules are taking a dire toll on American society. We're just too busy to love people. And she made the point in the article that families are actually the ones that are struck the hardest by this. We're too busy to love our families. And families are really where our love should be focused, right? I mean, I mean, they should take like the highest priority when it comes to how we spend our time and our energy. Our families, they should be the easiest ones for us to show love. Now, you know, many of you, if you've gathered around us much here, you know as we look at the Bible that we talk about love a lot. We talk about the, the love that we want to have for our neighbor and the love that we want to show the world, even the love that we want to show to our enemies. And we want to show love as we proclaim the gospel and tell people about Jesus and what he has done to, to forgive their sins. And, and all of that, again, all very good. But do we sometimes miss the daily opportunities that we have to show love to those who are closest to us? To show love to our family members? 
And clearly God is concerned about that, right? Because when God laid out those ten commandments that he gave to his Old Testament people, ten commandments that are still to be there for us today, for all people of all time, as he laid out those commandments, the very first commandment that comes after those commandments that deal with our love for God, the very first commandment that talks about how our utmost love for God is going to then flow through into our relationships for others has to do with our family. Honor your father and mother And to emphasize that even more, God even attaches a promise to that. He says, that it may go well with you. In the New Testament, God's divinely inspired author, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing a letter to young Pastor Timothy, as he encourages him for his leadership of the church, he tells him to instruct the people in how to love their family. In 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, he wrote this. He said, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. To love our families is how we put our religion into practice. It's how we practice what we preach. It's how we live out the faith that we have. And Paul goes on to use even stronger language. He says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has deserted the faith, has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. Clearly, this is incredibly important to God. And it's inconsistent with our faith when we fail to show love to our family. The very front line of our love is our families. And too often, we fail to show them that love. Now as we hear God's second of these famous last words that Jesus speaks from the cross, we'll see how Jesus was never too busy to love his family. We'll see the incredible care and love that Jesus showed to those who were nearest and closest to him, specifically to his mother. The Gospel writer John, he tells us of some of the witnesses who looked on in horror as Jesus was crucified. And so if you turn to John chapter 19 with me, you'll see in verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now it's clear that all of these women, they loved and cared for Jesus. They all supported him in his work and his ministry. Mary Magdalene, 
She really owed her sanity itself to Jesus. Jesus had driven seven demons out of her who had desired to occupy and inhabit her body, mind, and soul. One of these other women we believe is Salome. We believe she was the mother of James and John, those disciples of Jesus. You have Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then finally, Jesus' own mother. And while all of these women become important characters as the biblical narrative continues and they're especially vital to the resurrection account as Jesus rises up from the dead following his death, right here, the focus is on Mary, Jesus' mother. And it doesn't seem like it was that long ago that we were talking about Mary as that young teenage girl the Lord's servant who accepted the message of the angel Gabriel, who found out that she was going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, God's own son. Mary, who pondered and treasured what she saw and witnessed as the shepherds, and then later on the wise men as they knelt down and they worshipped her son. But Mary was no longer that young teenage girl. She was grown much older, maybe a widow at this time. And as she stood there and watched Jesus dying on the cross, she remembered those haunting words that were spoken by Simeon, who had said to her, And a sword will pierce your own heart too. That sword had struck. And she stood there and she watched her dear son slowly suffer to death on a cross. And while the the focus is on Mary, the central character is still Jesus. Because Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is still the one who was there on that cross for us and for our sins, suffering our punishment, suffering the wrath of God in our place. He was busy winning our salvation. Which maybe makes what Jesus says, even more astonishing and amazing. Because these words, too, were planned. They were deliberate. They were spoken with a purpose. And these words, too, they really change our own lives. John writes this. He says, When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Now, first of all, understand that this term, when when Jesus addresses his mother as, as woman, that was not a sign of disrespect. It was a term of endearment and love. Jesus showed 
love. He cared for his mother even as he died. He did what we so often fail to do and struggle to do. And no one could have faulted him for being too busy. As he was there hanging on that tree, no one could have faulted him for being consumed and his mind absorbed with a massive weight that was on his shoulders and on his heart. As he had assumed from us our guilt and our sin. And as he took that, it might have been reasonable to think that, that his mind was consumed with the abandonment of God, his heavenly Father, rather than the needs of his meek, earthly mother. Yet, he loved her. Yet, his focus remained on her. And the care that she would need when he wasn't physically able to give it to her. And so he recruited one of his dearest friends. He recruited this this disciple whom he loved. We know that that was John. He recruited John to take care of his mother. To provide for her. And in the simple instructions that God that Jesus gave to John, his dear friend, we see that Jesus really wanted this care to extend physically. He wanted his mother to have shelter, a roof over her head, a place to live. He wanted her to be provided with food to sustain her life. He wanted her to have that care and compassion that might become necessary as she advanced in her years of life. Jesus also wanted her to be cared for emotionally. He wanted John to be there to support her, especially as her heart was ravaged by what she was witnessing. Her own son dying right before her eyes. But perhaps most importantly, Jesus wanted this care to extend spiritually. We know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, but it seems that many of Jesus' brothers, they did not believe in him. They did not believe that he was really the Christ until after his resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus chose John to be that spiritual rock for his mother. Because he wanted the one who had taught and instructed him in the words of God from his infancy to also be reminded of those very words of God as she advanced into the latter stages of her life. Jesus cared for his mother. He was never too busy to love his family. And now I could turn to all of you and I could say to you to be more like Jesus. Just set aside all the busyness, all of the stress, because yours, of course, isn't as much as Jesus was feeling. 
To set that all aside and just love your family. And I could take my own advice if I said that to you, right? But if I said that to you, especially right now, I would grossly miss the point. You see, I need to tell you and show you just how much you needed Jesus to do this. You know, so often we focus on Jesus' cross, and rightly so, because that's where Jesus was suffering our pain and our punishment in our place for us. That's where Jesus won forgiveness of all of our sins as he gave his life as that sacrifice for us. As he took our own guilt. Theologically, we call this Jesus' passive obedience. That he willingly submitted to God the Heavenly Father's will and he suffered for us. He submitted to that will for God's divine justice and love to be carried out at the exact same moment as Jesus died on the cross. But Jesus' death on the cross really isn't enough, is it? Now, don't get me wrong, it is absolutely marvelous in its mercy. It is absolutely essential for us to be forgiven of our sins, for our hearts to be washed clean. But we actually need a greater and deeper grace from our God. Because in order to stand in God's holiness, in his perfection and his glory, we too need holiness. We need righteousness. A righteousness that has been horribly absent from our lives but the righteousness that was always present in Jesus' life. The righteousness that we see right here as Jesus cared deeply for his family, as he loved his family, even in the midst of that pain and that suffering, even as the blazing wrath of God was pouring out upon him, even in the agony of that abandonment, Jesus still perfectly obeyed God, his heavenly Father. He still perfectly obeyed that command from God to honor your father and mother. And not just in this moment, not just what we witness right here, but throughout Jesus' entire life, he perfectly obeyed God, his heavenly Father's will. Theologically, we call this Jesus' active obedience. How he lived that life of perfect holiness. And the amazing thing is that he lived that life for you and me. Jesus' active obedience is so important for us. Because not only, not 
merely, if we could really even say merely, but not merely did Jesus just assume our guilt and our sin upon himself alone, but he also lived that holy, perfect, and righteous life that you needed so that it would become your righteousness. And you can rejoice that you have God's promise that Jesus' own righteousness counts for you. His righteousness is yours by God's grace. And it is that righteousness and that lavish grace of God that then frees us to live a busy life. A life busy loving our family. A life busy making those sacrifices that that love calls for. And that doesn't just mean those reminders that we set for ourselves and sending the birthday cards and making sure that we we hit all the birthdays and the holidays. It certainly encompasses all of those daily acts of love, but it also encompasses those acts of love that take greater sacrifice. And when you struggle to do that, when you struggle to carry out that kind of love, Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus' passive suffering that forgives your sins and his active obedience that stands in your place. If you're a mother and you are overwhelmed, you feel inadequate for the high and holy calling that motherhood is, then Remember, Jesus' passive suffering forgives. And his active obedience stands in your place. If you're a father and you struggle with regret over the times that you were harsh with your children or you didn't serve as that godly example for them, then remember, Jesus' passive suffering forgives. And his active obedience stands in your place. Children, when when you are struck by how you will just never be able to repair your parents for what they have done for you, or you're ashamed of the moments when you didn't show them love and respect, remember Jesus' passive suffering forgives. And his active obedience stands in your place. Remember those things because they free you to then show love to your family. They free you to honor and respect and obey your parents. Parents, they free you to to love and and train and discipline and, and educate and instruct your children in the Lord. They free you to do that with joy. Knowing your forgiveness, knowing that Jesus' righteousness counts for you. And so the reminders that we set on our phones, the notifications and notes that we take for ourselves to to remember to love our family, that's all good. But there's something better that can remind us to love our families. When we remember 
Jesus' passive suffering that forgives, his active obedience and righteousness that stands in our place and moves us to love our families. Amen. Amen.